Ladies and frenemies, benches and algorithms. I don't know where those words were going. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, friends, neighbors, both neither. Welcome back to Last Minute Politics. If it sounds to 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 the people having the conversation right now like we've had this conversation before, we have. I finally did it, everybody. I, uh, Pepper Coyote, have uh, managed to co-create a lost episode of the podcast we recorded an entire hour it was great i hit the stop recording button and then the little bar that had waveforms and it was recording uh, happily up to this point disappeared completely then i hit undo and it's like what are you talking about so it just disappeared not entirely sure how i did it if it was my fault if it was just purely a full-on computer glitch that is not my fault you know what i'm gonna do though i'm gonna hit pause right here and then I'm going to hit record again, and we're back. So then, even if this recording poops, I still have everything I just said. All right. We have a guest today, hi. and their name is Sophia. Say hi, Sophia. <laughs> we went through a whole big instruction last time. We had a great yeah. conversation, and it was extremely sad that the recordings got messed up. So we are going to launch into uh, an att- not an attempted recreation, but we're going to go over the same uh, the same topics again and, and hopefully have a good time. Before I jump into it, Sophia, we're gonna our whole middle segment is talking a lot about you, uh, your background, but like introduce yourself because no one heard our first talk. Sure. Um, also, actually, this is kind of silly. When you said pause, I also paused. So should we do the clap again? Jessica. <laughs> yes. All right. If you're going to clap. Three, two, one. Clap. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I'd rather have that than less. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, no, that's going to mess him up. Oh, anyway. Um, so my journey into communism. Um, I think it's shorter than last time, I think. So uh, for starters, I'm originally from Brazil. So growing up, I got a different history of events about the world than America did. Um, and how old were you when you left again? I uh, came to America when I was pretty much 17. So I lived my whole life in the state of Rio with the big Jesus on it, which I think that's what everybody knows. And yeah, I just remember like a couple of things that we covered in school that made me non, not antagonistic and actually sympathetic to the communist side. Like, we definitely learned about, you know, the Brazilian dictatorship, which took place in, uh, I hope I'm not getting the numbers wrong, but if I remember correctly, it was like 1964 to 1985, and how that was sponsored by the U.S., you know, during the Cold War, and how many people were killed and dropped off helicopters and all that. Um, But distinctly, I remember there was like this theater production that was being censored because it was like sympathetic maybe to the communist side. And in protest, they just like held hands for an hour and a half and the public just like applauded or whatever. Like that was a bit of history that I was like, wow, you know, because I'm from the arts. I like, you know, I'm an artist. That's not my day job, (laughs) but I do the art stuff. So that may that may be sympathetic to those things. Um, And then when I moved to America, so that was around 2012, um, I was really over on Tumblr. And so obviously like social justice kind of just appealed to me. And I was on the BreadTube kind of like circles, just like, oh, wow, I'm really into this stuff. Maybe BreadTube is like my thing. And then I became acquainted with like Peter Coffin's work. And I felt like they were the ones just like, just being the, like the most, like just like being the most precise about the information they were putting forward. But then they got shat on and I was like, that's strange and suspicious. And so that made me look into it. And then they started talking about like certain books that they were reading and they talked about Marx all the time. And so that's kind of still where I'm at. I want to say that a year ago is when I really was like, okay, let's like really commit and just kind of do more reading for myself instead of listening to other people talk about it. And that's been that. I'm finding a an increasing not increase yeah there seems to be a whole group of people that is uh like I, we want to call ourselves marxist leninists but that, that that makes it sad when you say i am a marxist leninist it's almost like saying i am a scientist where yeah. it implies some kind of expertness to it yeah. but how i know so many people who have in the last 2 years started reading marx and lenin so i guess we're like marx leninist 
uh, beginners or amateurs. We aspire yeah. <laughs> to, yeah. to learn more about Marx and Lenin. And it's interesting how we're all like, it's a bunch of people in their like late twenties, early thirties. Yeah. It, it makes sense in your case, like your material conditions seem extremely conducive to this. Cause like you were just describing, you grew up in Brazil just after Brazil exiting a literal dictatorship. I don't know how many Americans, if you walked up to them and said, uh, when was Brazil's dictatorship? They would probably either think you're talking about Bolsonaro right. or have no idea what you're talking about yeah. at all. So you're now a generation who had parents who lived under literal dictators. Yeah. And then when they looked into it, they would discover, oh, this is the U.S. that is backing this. And now this also lines up with all of the various South American, uh, I guess I would call like progressive moves of various kinds. Like Bolivia, you have Evo, like really the the movement towards socialism, his party surviving a coup attempt there. You have Peru, where right now uh, the U.S. kind of like tried to gently remove the elected leader of Peru and Peruvians very, very mad about it. You have Chile suddenly getting like the closest thing to a leftist leader they've had in a really long time. Brazil, like Lula's back. Yeah, I think oh. it's it's it does make sense that this generation that our current generation is like, hey, socialism. <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, gosh, so much to say about some of the things that you said, because even about Lula, actually, um, I do think that he's connected to George Soros and some other things. So I'm starting to become a little bit like how else to say this. It, he's not a socialist. But he may not be straight up a capitalist. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, it's in between. I don't know. But he's, I think the U.S. is okay with Lula. Um, but anyway, that's kind of some thoughts. I'm on only that. tabling Lula discussions because that's all, like, I'm jumping into that huge yeah. in the second segment. Let me throw into our first story. Yeah. I want to, I'll pretend I'm talking about the <laughs> I'll pretend I'm talking about this for the first time with you. I want to read an, an article from Reuters. Yeah. And the article is, Canada prepares to expand assisted death amid debate. So the reason this came up last week when we were recording this, it's like the official, I think, Christian day of we don't want anyone to have an abortion. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so that was like a topic at work. I had to hear a lot about that. Oh, God. And to their... To their credit, I'm always like the the establishment. This is it's not that I'm against all of Christianity, but the established, uh, the establishment church, like organized Christian religion, like there there you. It is not hard to explain why one would be very suspicious of them in the U.S. To their credit, they brought up a thing I never thought they would. Because you hear people talk about being pro-life, and really all they mean is no one should have an abortion. But then they brought up a topic. I'm like, oh, that actually is a, a pro-life stance. <laughs> Canada prepares to expand assisted death amid debate. This is in Toronto, December 11th, so a few months ago, in Reuters. Canada is preparing to expand its medically assisted death framework to become one of the broadest in the world, a change some want to delay due to concerns vulnerable people have easier access to death than to a life without suffering. Starting in March, people whose sole underlying condition is mental illness will be able to access assisted death. Mental illness was excluded when the most recent medical assistance in dying, that's the short way to say this is made, by the way, medical assistance in dying, made law, which was passed in 2021. So when we talk about making it easier and easier to access medically assisted suicide or medically assisted death. Cause I know like that's probably why they say death and not suicide. They don't call it mace. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's like a loaded term. Uh, what do you see as a, a glaring uh, problem with this? Sophia? Well, the glaring problem is that obviously if we could help like people actually live their lives, then I'm sure that many people wouldn't be resorting to death in the first place. Because um, we're not talking about people who are terminally ill with cancer and going to die in a week anyway. We're not talking about people who are, I'm going to be comatose for 40 years until my body withers away. We are talking about that. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're talking, talking about, people about people who would otherwise be able to survive, except for the fact that fucking capitalist society doesn't allow them to. They, or like maybe like, like I think of someone who is in that struggle of I'm trying to have a job, but then rent kicks in and then I have like $10 saved over for like food and whatever and necessities. And it's like, yeah, why keep on living if it's so miserable to live? And that's why people resort to suicide or assisted death. And it's just ridiculous. You know, it's just a band-aid on the problem of why people want to kill themselves in the first place. 
I heard about a year ago, the first time I was aware of this, uh, geez, it was on <laughs> Philip DeFranco of all YouTubers. He brought up a case where it was a lady who, to, to summarize, and it's if you look up the case, I'm going to get a ton of this info wrong, but just to be extremely general uh, about it, she was essentially allergic to most of outside. So what she needed to live, and again, this was real. This was not like in her head. This was, she'd step outside and she would just like, her long throat starts closing up. Like she can't live <laughs> uh, right. with uh, all of the, in a city with, I think it's a combination of pollution, dust, I don't remember. But all she, what she would require to live a normal life would be to be moved kind of out into the country and then have some really good air filters on a relatively small dwelling place so she could have really purified clean air. And then she could be a fully functioning member of society. She right. could do everything else. She wasn't stuck in a, she like could move on. She wasn't stuck in a wheelchair, which is not to shit on people in wheelchairs, but like she's a completely healthy woman, <laughs> except yeah. she requires a very filtered air environment. Yeah. She did not, she could not afford, did not qualify, whatever, could not get that from the government, but she could from the Canadian government qualify to voluntarily kill herself so she doesn't have to live in misery and that is heinous shit like, yeah. do i have to explain yeah. to everyone yeah she wants to live she's like she hey, wants to live can you provide me with the with the environment that i need to live no but have you thought about killing yourself like no but you're not like it's just not you know and i didn't bring this up last time but something that like a lot of people were like totally outraged by and at the time i didn't understand i got confused about it but how if you have for instance a child or if you yourself have um like some sort of let's just say like a terminal illness or an illness that has a lot of complications like um down syndrome which i think it's a, might be called something else sure. but if you have down syndrome it's, nah, it's, still down. it's really difficult to immigrate to canada because of the you know, free healthcare <laughs> system. And I think that there's this one particular story of a family that tried and was rejected on that basis. And in my head, I remember being like, yeah, that is messed up. Come on, everybody should have free healthcare. But then I'm thinking like, well, yeah, but in a capitalist society, that's not, that that's just not important. That's just not like, well, sure, we have free healthcare, but like, not really for anybody. Like, it's just not sustainable. Like, we, we can't really, like, that's just what has to happen. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's like a similar situation. It's like, well, we could, I'm sure that the Canadian government or, you know, has plenty of money to give this lady the quality of life that she needs, but it's just not, it wouldn't pay enough dividends back. In that, oh, if only know? these poor, suffering immigrants could get to our country where we have all these nice things. We pretend that that's what's happening. Yeah. In order to maintain class, to keep the poor people where they are, to keep the poor people in their countries where they are, you mu that's why we have to have these crazy, violent, militaristic fights over borders. If everyone who is suffering could just go to the place where you don't suffer anymore, the whole thing would collapse, obviously. If everybody could just move to Amsterdam and get all the healthcare and all the nice social democrat uh, benefits and all we talk about, oh, Sweden, the Nordic model. If everyone in the world just moved there, that shit would fall apart, which is why they have special bodies of armed men. I'm oh, kidding, yeah. Me. Special bodies of armed men on the border. Freaking, was it not Burkina Faso? It's that one chunk right by Spain where it's the African continent, mm. but it's this little sliver that's controlled by Spain, basically as a militarized border. And a bunch of Africans tried to cross over into Spain and they were not shot, just beaten to death with clubs. Wow. It sounds like I'm making this up. Christ. Just piles of bodies and you can find don't i don't recommend looking it up don't traumatize yourself but this happened like three years ago i'm sorry three months ago oh <laughs> my even god it was like this year damn <laughs> so yeah. it's just another method of yeah canada has some benefits for canadians try to move to canada when you need something yeah it's it's <laughs> it's so much so that at to me that pairs with someone being like oh yeah like the dangers of medical tourism where god forbid people and oh, this if is you're people, rich you and show this, up yeah exactly well, but it's still that's what i found was just so ironic i'm like but that's rich people going into your country and getting procedures <laughs> getting in your country and then leaving and then not like that's all they're doing like wouldn't you think that's supervised but even that no because we don't want to give people the idea that they can have access to the resources they need you're allowed to kill yourself and if you're rich enough and uh, you can, this is a famous COVID thing that everybody memed on at the time. There was a super rich somebody, American, who took their private jet, 
to not just Canada, but to, they landed in First Nations territory, uh, <laughs> so th- uh, where they were handing out vaccines to the First Nations people, and uh, they got one there, and then they left again in their private jet, and wow. they got penalized. I think it was a whole two thousand Canadian dollars they were fined. Uh, that's nothing. <laughs> oh, okay. It's so stupid, comical. All right, if you break this and get our health care, $2,000 fine. Oh, you need a couple thousand dollars to be able to live your life? Sorry, we can't do The best we can do is kill yourself. Yeah. But we'll help. There you we go. are Canada. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I thought I wanted to give him some credit that the fact that the church brought up, hey, this is kind of a, a scary idea, right? That they would rather uh, let people die. Yeah. Uh, help people die than yeah. deal with any of the problems in society. Yeah. Society. Yeah. Yep, any yep. final thoughts on that? See, like, another thing, like, just at the very end, it says, LP, who suffers from anorexia and asked to be identified by her initials, hopes to access assisted death when it is available. And I'm saying, what if you had free access to a fucking mental health service? You'd be able to recover. Like, it, it, it whatever. And then she says, without it, she said, she'll keep suffering until the illness or suicide kills her. This would just be more dignified. So it's just about, like, it's, it's awful. I just think it's awful. Yeah, I at its core, social scientific socialism, communism is about it's pro humanity. It is, and not just from the cold calculating. All oh, these people could be contributing to the great five year plan of right. the Canadian Soviets. It's like, how can you not look at that and get emotional? Like, how can you not look? Because we all know we all know somebody who's had some kind of uh, eating disorder issues. Imagine if they were so down and desolate and just given up to the point that they are trying to access medically assisted death yeah, that uh, they're from only, the government. Yeah, it, it, that's what it is. It's And that's in the that's cycle. the only light at the in end the, of their yes, tunnel. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's like, well, you know, my only hope is that I'll die soon. Like, what? Not that, oh, yeah, it's awful. That sounds like a life where all purpose has been stripped and that sounds like most workers I know. Yeah, it's the suicide booth from Futurama. If they made this. I mentioned that last time. I'm glad you remembered it. They're <laughs> doing suicide booths like Futurama. That's just what they're doing. Yep, exactly. So my next thing, I want to go jump back into talking about I just have in my notes, Lula is back, Mm -hmm. and Lula is an interesting political figure. Mm -hmm. I have gotten far away from any kind of great man theory of, like, ex-special human is going to be the the ultimate guy who then brings about, like, you can't make people into Jesuses, like, there is no singular messiah coming to hell. There are people who help concentrate a movement and maybe can, like, speak really well and kind of, like, help with momentum and such, Mm -hmm. but... Lula, interesting case, because you're talking about now, like, are they or are they not possibly controlled or at least influenced by the U.S.? Yeah. If I don't have it wrong, the back when you back when Brazil has dictatorship or shortly after, wasn't Lula banned from running and then put in prison by U.S. backed sort uh, by U.S. backed politicians in the first place? Yeah. Do you know any more is... about that than I do? No, you know, to be honest, I tried to do some. I was going to see if I was going to be able to talk to anybody from my family to just get more, you know, personal accounts from that. Um, just because, like, you know, I don't have a VPN, so I wouldn't be able to find any Brazilian sources, like, that weren't in English. Um, you know, like, anyway, that's just my thing on that. But, um, ah, gosh, see, that's the one thing I was like, oh, I'm not going to be able to talk about it as much this week. But it's, I mean, it was, a, it was a strategic plan, right? Because I think, like, so this is, right, I remember talking about this last time. So, from growing up, Lula was, like, the very first president that I was just, like, aware of. Like, I was, like, it was, this was, like, 2000, 2001, 2003. Lula was in power, and he enacted uh, some policies that my middle-class parents were, like, oh, he's bribing the masses. But really what he was just doing is just giving people stimulus power, like money stimulus power they were just giving them them stimulus and it was called like family scholarship and i did watch a couple podcasts on that where some people were able to credit those scholarships as the reason of why they were successful today and it wasn't even like money that was just like indiscriminate money like five you know it would be like a regular amount too so it'd be like let's just say i don't know five hundred dollars a month 
and I don't know if it was like an EBT card where you could only use it on specific things but from what I understand it was just money that people were using to like say buy a notebook or school supplies for their kids um, and so that was very popular obviously with everyone that received that amount which was a <laughs> lot of people but not popular with middle-class families who thought they were getting that money for doing absolutely nothing so um, there's some of that and so I think then we were talking about this like the operation um, car wash it was just that's what he was jailed over the, the right. charges against Lula were about money laundering involved with operation car wash right yeah and so I think that was just like trying to get somebody else in power to be more uh, capitalist because that's another thing not that I think about it I think that's also has to do with because Bolsonaro is really into Trump and is really into business and just wanted to privatize everything, including because um, like I think Brazil has like four main banks and like three, if not all of them, are federal banks. So they're not private banks, but they're you know just owned by the country, much like the oil rig uh, Petrobras. And so that's actually one of the other things like Caleb spoke on this one conference, Caleb Moppin spoke on this one conference advocating, um, I can think at the top of my head what the group was called. I have the book right next to me so I could pull it up, but just encouraging people to be like, do not let go of Petrobras. This needs to be a federal good that everybody can, you know, use it. Um, and so I think that's, that could be one of the main reasons that he was taking out. They're like, hmm, we don't like that you're just like really helping people out and empowering the working class. So we're going to take you out, out of commission for a little while. So um, now Trying to nationalize industry or keep, in this case, keep industry nationalized seems to be one of the signs as to whether or not your government's going to get overthrown. Mm. Really controversial. <laughs> Muammar Gaddafi, not saying he's a great guy, but part of why Libya suddenly got overthrown after being like, oh, yeah, we like Libya for so, so long is they started nationalizing their their gas. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I just... It's been a pattern of in a, if a country wants to own its own resources, we're getting in there, baby. Yeah. In Venezuela, they own their own gas. And I think kind of to their folly, they ended up riding, uh, being able to turn their uh their gas output just maintain their entire economy based on that kind of ended up not working out because gas prices ended up going down but then hey just recently oh we can't buy russian gas now we're we're negotiating with venezuela again because oh shit we need gas mm. <laughs> yeah i, I don't want to simplify and say everything comes down to oil but wow <laughs> it sure seems to keep coming down to oil like, yeah out, outside of the middle east too like worldwide oil is always part of the considerations here so, you know, so that's the, the tea on Lula that I'm aware of. Um, and then I guess secondly, the tea is because when I did talk to my mom about this, she's like, well, you know, I don't necessarily am pro Lula. And the more that I think about it, I wonder if my mom, if she read some Marx, she identify more as a Marxist Leninist, like, because there's some weirdness that sometimes she's a hair of the car, sometimes she's not. So also the things that I discover, I'm like, oh, you've known this about the whole time. But, you know, Lula isn't a communist. You know, he's he's just part of the Workers' Party and Brazil has a multi-party system. So the situation is more settled in, in America where, you know, it's just not a dual party system, which makes things a little, you know, just harder to understand because there's more moving parts. Um, but I do know that he has put some people in power that are directly affiliated with the George Soros Foundation. And I think there's a little bit of like wokeism in some of the people that he's put in power too. Um, but you know, I since I'm here, like I said, everything that I try to Google or try to find out about or research, it passes through a filter of American. You know, I don't have a VPN, so I can't access just straight up Brazilian websites see what they're saying. Um, but yeah, so you know, here's just hoping that things work out. I'm going to jump to our next topic, but I have one disclaimer, because you've said Soros' name twice. Just in case someone listening is like, they said George Soros, that means they're super right way. George Soros likes to, he's an extremely rich person, and we don't want to make value judgments about, oh, he's a good billionaire, bad billionaire. Right. The right wing will attack George Soros for a lot of, like, stupid things. Like, they really, you probably just go after him. See, he's Jewish and he has money, therefore he runs the world. No. He, George Soros has, however, in many, many countries, funded uh, what are called color revolutions, 
yeah. called so because usually in the country they're like, oh, the blue revolution, the yellow revolution, the red revolution. A lot of them had color names, so now they're called color revolutions. And that's when foreign money to protect U.S. business interests, not because George Soros just loves America. This is for business moves, so it makes sense to me. Uh, he wants to create an environment in a country that is better for him and his business, yeah. his businesses. So sometimes that involves overthrowing a government <laughs> and yeah. it's never on the side of the communists weirdly enough yeah. he has financed funded helped with propaganda on many many color revolutions in various countries that's why his name comes up not because we think the jews run the world no and you know the irony in all that is that um because i'm a foreigner i have a hard time picking people like american ethnic groups apart <laughs> so anytime people bring that up i'm like oh he's jewish like i just have no clue so i just think that's the oh, i think source is like hungarian i don't i don't, I don't oh. know if he's american oh, born well actually then, well then there you fucking go anyway yeah hung, hung, hungarian american all right oh <laughs> there you go I'm heading this with why I'm talking about it. Because if I just start reading it, you're like, what does this matter, Pepper? What kind of like point are you going to make at the end of this? I want to... This is the... Uh, the Chinese Communist Party is just started, or at the end of last year, they started their... The 20th CPC National Congress. I want to briefly read from an article describing their goals to draw a contrast between how leaders in a socialist country talk, their priorities, what their goals are, at least what their stated goals are. I mean, obviously, this is a message that is meant to... It, there is propaganda in these messages, which does not mean lies, but there is messaging. It's a statement of priorities. It's yeah. for their, It's for both uh, Chinese people, the rest of the world to look at. It's a gen, It's like an equivalent of like a State of the Union type thing. Yeah. That's how I, I think it, you should... Uh, <laughs> how you should receive this, uh, fair listener. Yeah. The Communist Party of China, CPC, opened its 20th National Congress on October 16th, so last year. Uh, this meeting in Beijing brought together 2,296 delegates from every province in the country in order to plan the next five years of policies. The CPC said its goal is to, quote, write an even more magnificent chapter for socialism with Chinese characteristics in the new era. And this is from geopoliticaleconomy.com. It's written by Ben Norton, who is mostly known from a site called Multipolarista. In the 20th National Congress, the CPC highlighted its commitments to Marxism, reducing inequality, peaceful reunification with Taiwan, its zero-COVID policy, and especially the fight against the, quote, cancer of corruption. On October 16th, President Xi Jinping delivered a lengthy report on behalf of the 19th CPC Central Committee, which had been established in the 19th Party Congress in 2017. His speech reflected on the accomplishments of the previous five years and outlined Beijing's goals from 2023 to 2027. Xi said... From this day forward, the central task of the CPC will be to lead the Chinese people of all ethnic groups in a concerted effort to realize the second centenary goal. It's the second 200 year centenary goal of building China into a great modern socialist country in all respects and to advance the rejuvenation of the Chinese nation on all fronts through a Chinese path to modernization. A key part of the report represented, uh, sorry, presented by Xi called for, quote, improving the people's well-being and raising quality of life. The CPC said its gold goals include redistributing wealth to reduce inequality, combating unemployment, strengthening the health care system, and improving social security with an emphasis on gender equality and support for people with disabilities. I'm stopping there for a bit. Yeah. And this is not that you should listen to this and just accept, oh, yes, this beautiful, wonderful country where everything is completely perfect all the time. You're not supposed to accept all of this as complete truth or complete that it's going to happen. But think about how the, the, quote, left, the farthest left politicians you will ever hear in your life in the United States when they get on the national stage and talk. We have President Biden. I've been told he's the most progressive president of all time in the United States. What does it sound like when he talks? Does he ever talk about 
redistributing wealth to reduce inequality, combating it. Well, he talks about combating unemployment, strengthening the healthcare system. Like, yeah. <laughs> when have you heard a U.S. leader get on stage and talk about redistributing wealth to reduce inequality? Yeah, it's. I mean, they even specify. It's just like, it's just so funny how like I think about like wokes who listen to a lot of propaganda like oh but china this but china that socialism this but women this in this country and i'm like dude they've done that and more and they're talking about it like sure not only they're talking it but they're doing the talk like they're they're walking the talk it's just like 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 whatever american politician has said shit like you were talking about you know the other conversation we were having about how you know like your parents said, oh, voting for Bush isn't a good idea. And then you're like, okay, Obama, right on. <laughs> and then you got on the Bernie train. And every single time you've gotten disappointed. But, like, China just keeps growing and growing. Like, for me, the small sign of, like, wow, damn, China is big and just everywhere. Is that, like, you can't buy anything without seeing a Made in China sticker on it or some part of it. Like, you see it. You know what I mean? Like, you just know how present people's lives are and just like something like something is working out because they're making a shit ton of stuff you know what i mean and like and all you hear is just this is like just this is on what they're doing so i see alignment with the big fight you get into with leftists is whether or not china has anything to do with communism because what i used to believe and what i'm told all the time is that china is evil and they put the communism on top of it to try and trick you into thinking they're less evil mm -hmm. and they go like phony baloney Marxism as a way to, to get the Chinese people to accept a worse standard of living kind of, which why I think this is projection kind of like how American politicians get out and say freedom yeah, uh, like egalite fraternite, like yeah. we're gonna give you all these rights and then none of that shit <laughs> yeah. they, they actually do the whole smokescreen nonsense exactly. if you look at you can listen to these words and then look at how China has grown. It yeah. is not a utopia where everyone is wonderful, shiny, happy rainbows all the time. World poverty reduction. If you take out China from world poverty reduction, there has been none in the last like 50 years. Wow. There has only been poverty increases and capitalist economists will brag all the time about, look, look how well capitalism is doing. World poverty has gone down. And you'll say, okay, remove the couple of billion Chinese poor people who now make more <laughs> money and how, how do your numbers look? Wow, yeah. In China, the bottom, I think bottom 30% of income earners, meaning us, the people listening to this, <laughs> unless you're like weird, have 3% of the total wealth of China. In America, that same group has 1%. Wow. And we have so much more money than them. <laughs> like, we have the opportunity, the level of development to... We, we could almost have a semi-utopian kind of thing. We just, just everybody, everybody put all your shit in a pile. We'll redistribute it evenly. My goodness, which is not what I think we should do, by the way. That's like a cartoon version of it. But the U.S., we actually have all that stuff. China has been, has been fighting from being, within 100 years, a nation of mostly peasant farmers, kind of like the USSR before Lenin, to look at them now. They are arguably the largest and most important economy in the entire world. Yeah. I do find it interesting. I think it's probably a good thing. I don't live in China, but I like that the focus is, he says that this five-year plan is about improving the people's well-being and raising quality of life. If you go back a bit, especially to Deng Xiaoping, like 90s dude, the, the biggest concern was increasing the forces of production to make as much shit as possible, to make China as economically powerful as possible. Like you're talking about, that's when everything started getting made in China and the capitalists were more than happy to be like, ha cheaper labor, we will, we will exploit you. And then they're like, wait, 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 and wait, wait. <laughs> wait, it's actually helping your people? Fuck. Uh, yeah. Made in China's the USA, like, sure, you're made exploiting. in USA, yeah. No. <laughs> Meanwhile, China's just building both like its figurative savings account and they have all these productive forces now. China makes everything. Every everyone in the world has been trying to mess with them, disadvantage them as much as they can. They're like, F you, we'll just make everything ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> and now they do, and <laughs> it's it's only been beneficial to them. Yeah. Meanwhile, the US makes less and less of anything. Yeah. And, and when then we say, gotta go fight right. around the world to get shit from people. And when you say beneficial to them, not just to whoever, like, five people own, you know, 
everything at the top, you know, or just the owning class, but like to them, as in China, as in the people of China, you know, like I was just going to poverty putting, reduction, right? Like, because that's was just, where the money goes. I was just going to say, like, article aside, just because you mentioned the point of like it's propaganda, you know, and the tone, it's very positive and uplifting. When, when have you seen the fucking government gather like two thousand three hundred people from all corners of the U.S. to troubleshoot and talk about the like? the problems in the country and just not only discuss what has been done but discuss what we'll do like i was just thinking like 2300 from every province of the country in order to plan bringing all of these people together to the same fucking table so they can discuss and they can troubleshoot right that's just like how i see it like in my daily life about how like you know i work in this org you could compare it to a school in a way, but you know, to nonprofit org uh, that wants to bring accessibility to the arts for the kids. So we have classes, and I get really frustrated because sometimes we're ridiculously small staff. By the way, we're like six people, and then one of those people takes care of the clay studio because that's like a form of art. People do clay, right? But then, like yeah. me, or not even me, but like these two colleagues that I have, the executive director and the education coordinator. They're making decisions about the clay classes without fucking asking the clay teacher. And I just think, like, that's not even fucking happening to this tiny amount of people where just, like, bring that person to the table to discuss how we're going to troubleshoot our problems. I'm just thinking, when has that happened in the U.S.? Does that happen in the U.S. where you're just bringing people from all fucking corners of the state just to, like, come sit down, discuss, and troubleshoot it? Like, that to me is just, like, just the fact that that's happening to me is a sign of, okay, that, you know, like, this is good, you know? Whenever I watch U.S. politics, it's like you're describing the people, you'll, they will do, like, the show of uh, get a lot of people in a room, but it, it, I know a presidential debate is not the same as uh, the, like, CPC 19th Congress talking. How often do, we complain about this all the time, about U.S. politicians, they never really talk about concrete issues. Yeah. It's always vague, like, vote for me and you will be happier with yourself. Yeah. <laughs> like, Where going through... It is so brass tacks. It is so, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. At least that's the plan. You'll see this from October. They're talking about zero COVID. China's already kind of changed that. They've relaxed a lot on on COVID. Not that they've abandoned the zero COVID policy. I think they've abandoned the zero COVID policy as it was. And abandoned is the wrong word. They've adjusted, changed. They're like, all right, we have to have business needs to hear. We need this much. At the very least, I see decisions that are based on some kind of logic. <laughs> yeah, or on the logic of people asking for it, you know? like they Yeah, or are... at least or responding to the people. Exactly. I think that's just, that's it. Like, we can disagree with the decisions being made, but they are bringing people together to make the decisions in the first place. And even if it's a, I don't want to say a wrong decision, but even if it's a decision with big consequences that may be good or may be bad, I think that's the point. Like... I think that's just the point of socialism in my head of just we need to come together, make these decisions and not, OK, sweetie, the parents are talking, except the parents are like companies and <laughs> in, in fucking lobbyists and like the state, you know, maintaining class contradiction. You know what I mean? That's how I feel. Let me read a little bit more from this is from the 19th National Congress of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, through several decades of development, China has already maintained for a number of years the world's second largest economy, the world's largest manufacturer, the world's the largest trading power, and the country with the biggest foreign exchange reserve. Jeez. All true. China ranks among the top of the world in economic, science, and technology, military, and overall national strength. <laughs> Which I don't know how, how you measure strength, but uh, it's fun word to They're say. They're just Accordingly, badass. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> if you make all your own stuff, you have, like, the second biggest military, you're doing fine. Accordingly, the principal contradiction of the Chinese society has evolved. Man, it feels like I'm talking to adults when I read this. <laughs> the principal <laughs> contradiction of the Chinese society has evolved. In the past, the contradiction was between the ever-growing material and cultural needs of the people and the backwardness of social production. When they say backwardness of social production, they mean... uh. Working in a shitty factory with shitty conditions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like when you think of Foxcom, 
The Chinese government doesn't look at that and be like, that's great. All of our citizens want to work in sweatshops. <laughs> right. And that's what they mean when they talk about improving the well-being. They're trying to get they'll like move past that. They mostly have, but a lot of progress could obviously be made. Now, the principal contradiction is between unbalanced and inadequate development and the people's ever-growing needs for a better life. Damn. <laughs> that... The needs to be met for the people to live a better life are increasingly broad. The Chinese people not only seek for their material and cultural needs, but also concern about their increasing demands for fairness and justice, rule of law, security, environment, balanced urban and rural development, and equitable income distribution. These changes in the principal contradiction means higher requirements for China's domestic and foreign policies. It also means a new historical mission for the CPC. They kind of just laid out all of the problems that people, that leftists in the U.S. describe, except their government is at least freaking talking about, it sure has laid them out in black and white. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's It feels like right now we're like, how people said that like apes are going through the Stone Age. <laughs> that's how I feel like it, socialism's very young it's a very young mode yeah but the <laughs> fact that they're like they're like we got a new contradiction I'm like oh shit like they just passed the next age and we're just still stuck with stones and bricks um, talking yeah. about vague issues I mean, it's yeah so whether or not the US gets its shit together and has its uh, socialist revolution China's just gonna keep doing what it's doing and yeah <laughs> Hell yeah. Good luck, everybody. I pulled up a chart where it's a share of pop uh, share of population in extreme poverty, 1981 to 2019. And this is a chart from the World Bank. So it's not a Chinese source or anything. And by the way, they just des they describe the World Bank describes extreme poverty as one dollar and ninety cents per day. If you make more than that. A dollar and 90 cents, that's U.S. dollars per day, they say you're not in extreme poverty, which we can fight over whether or not that's poverty. Wow. However, China, in 1981, it was above 80% of Chinese people were making less than two American dollars a day. <sighs> Guess what it is in 2019? Because it's zero. <laughs> it has gone from 85% of your whole country's population to zero. God damn. No, $2 is not a hard bar to cross, but let's look at, like, if you look at that chart in the U.S., I don't think it's going to go to zero. <laughs> yeah. No way. No way. That's awesome. Do you want to send me that? Are you able to send me that? Yeah, there we go. It's just a, a JPEG I got from Wikipedia. This is not deep sources. Well, that's... But that's why I like pulling sources like this, because it's like, look, even the World Bank agrees. <laughs> like, these are not... Like, it's not Xi Jinping telling me that, yeah. that poverty has gone down in China. The whole world knows. The whole world agrees. They just can't really point it out in a way of like, we should all do what China's... Oh, wait a second. <laughs> oh, we have to raise people's standard of living? Ugh. We have to rewire the way that things work? Ugh, no, it's too much trouble. We could be richer, but, you know... I've you've seen China go from you got peasant revolution, you got the uh, and e even a uh, like Maoists like Chinese communists will talk about how the cultural revolution that's like kind of the the scary not great period uh, <laughs> was that sixties seventies they uh, that is that is listed as a mistake as a misstep of of the new uh, of the Chinese socialist government then you get. Uh, from there, you have Deng Xiaoping, who that's when you get your ultra factory focused increased production, blah, blah, blah. And then you have Xi, who is now, all right, we have our production, our productive forces to X thing. Let's, we, we should now be concentrating on, we have environmental issues. We have uh, people's just general standard, standard of living. We want to make our people happier. We should yeah. now start to move into this uh, world of plenty. Yeah. That's such and a beautiful, I mean, that's such a beautiful to like, exemplification of how like like that really is the order to tackle problems like that right because like when i was you know tumblr pilled and i didn't understand how the world worked as far as like economics right i'm thinking like no like economy and social issues like they're totally separate issues they're not linked at all you know but that is just such a clear example of how like no like you tackle the base and then once you tackle the base you can tackle the symptoms of the system that you were in previously you know what i mean of like yeah. why is why is there anyway i'm not too like it's I, I'm it's what makes the, yeah. the u.s frustrating 
Yeah. The U.S. is frustrating because our productive forces are massive. The U.S., when they say second largest, that's because they're leaving out the U.S. And if anything, our productive forces are on the decline now. To be able to provide comfortable lives to all your citizenry, you have to have all the stuff that makes those comfortable lives possible. Like, you have to generate enough electricity. You have to have enough food, water. You have to have enough... If everybody's going to have clothes, you have to be able to make enough clothes. And the U.S. does. We make too much. We have a surplus. So we have more food than our citizenry eats. We have more houses than we need to live in. And it makes me freaking crazy. Yeah. Because <laughs> you point at China and go, how come the, the savage, evil Chinese have had such a, like, how come they don't live in such luxury? It's like, well, you won't trade with them, United States. We could have done this cool, like, teamwork. Hey, we'll provide you with this you need. Instead, it's the opposite. We're doing trade wars. We're doing tariffs. We're doing everything we possibly can to kneecap any socialist country. Just the same way we treated Cuba. China just happens to be, like, making it work because they have this massive population and they've, they got a, they have all the factories now. <laughs> everything is made. In China. They will take steel, send it all the way to China, have them make it. Well, or rather send the ores, then they'll produce the steel. Then they send it back to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where we used to make steel. Uh, and that's not China's fault. They're kind of exploiting the, the capitalist tendency to, we will work wherever it is cheapest. And they've used great strategy to kind of capture that value. And instead of that value just going to a bunch of rich Chinese oligarchs, and yes, there are Chinese millionaires. Yes, there are Chinese billionaires. They have 3%. Of the of the uh, the the, thir- the bottom thirty percent of income earners get three percent of the t- country's total wealth. In America, we get one percent. Whatever you have right now in America, if you were in the alternate dimension where you were in China, you would have three times as much proportionally. <laughs> that means something. Yeah, that that means everything. <laughs> Damn, that'd be so sick. <laughs> I gotta take an off ramp out of my rant here. No, it's great. It's, I mean, yeah, it's. I know we're doing the repeats. I'm like, just you know, not to say praise the Lord, but you know, sheesh, like (laughs) shit, you know. International cooperation would make all of these processes so much faster, so much more painless. Like, instead of, oh, you got to bootstrap, your country's got to build everything from nothing. Imagine if instead you have friendly, more developed powers who are like, yeah, dude, we'll teach you how to make a nuke plant. That'll be fine. Like, we'll also, like, staff it. Without the whole weird, like, extractive loan predatory. (laughs) Yeah. That's what hopefully China's doing with Belt and Road. You never know what any of these things are until they've happened. You can listen to everyone's intentions and everyone could just be lying. But Belt and Road Initiative, that's where you'll hear about, like, Argentina's doing deals with China. What? Because the other, they're a lender to finance these projects, these big building projects that isn't the U.S., right. where the U.S. has a history of just, oh, surprise, we got you in debt, we got a loan, you got to do whatever we say forever now. <laughs> right, yeah, a win-win corporation, as I've heard it, you know? Like, it's just like, I mean, I'm coming from the arts, so I'm always seeing these problems, like, psychologically, too, just, like, from... So I understand it, right? Because when we talk about big powers, I'm like, that's a conglomerate of people, how do I really understand what's going on? But just, like, logically... Just to think like, hey, we're going to land out this loan. I don't know let, that it has interest or not. But in my head, I'm thinking, let's give out this loan. Let's make this super pleasant for you. And then you're going to want to trade with us because we helped you out. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, what? It's like, it's just, you would think everybody would want to do that. But no. And removing even just friendship, it helps, it serves your national interest if your goal is to better the lives of the people. Yeah, you would become you actually richer. You know, it's, I don't know. Yeah. I'm thinking like of animal training too, like how positive reinforcement produces better results. And that's just the learning curve that I think we'll have to go through. You know, a little topian on my side, but that's how I see it. I'm like, dude, if only we spent a century. Yeah. Yeah. We spent a century of countries learning what it means to get, quote, help from the United States. And no, they don't want it anymore. (laughs) They look around, they look at, okay, I am blank African nation or South American nation trying to build a thing. I can go to the International Monetary Fund and we can look how countries have been treated by loans from them. Or I can go to China and increasingly people are are choosing China's loans over the International Monetary Fund because the IMF kind of requires you to sign over. You can read their list of requirements, like that's publicly known. 
you must make, you have to promise to never nationalize your industries. Talking about Brazil. If you if Brazil took an IMF loan, they would never be allowed to make any of their industries national. Like if their gas was private, then they would have to they would never be able to move it to national or vice versa. It requires privatization of a whole bunch of industries. It requires certain currency things. You gotta accept US dollars, you gotta accept the freaking petrodollar. Oh my god. Like these are intentional, intelligent, strategic moves. Where you have the option to give your economy to the U.S. or well, maybe China won't do that. I mean, maybe they might. I cannot tell the future. Yeah. There's always a potential that China is going to go. Ha ha! Surprise! We're evil the whole time. But there has <laughs> been a history of them not doing it. Exactly. There's in fact been a history of loan forgiveness, yeah. where they'll say, "You know, you owe us for this loan." Eh. Damn. <laughs> we don't care. Wow. Yeah. Just be like, actually, you know what? You're cool. You're chill, dude. <laughs> Meanwhile, France still says that Haiti owes them money for the, for the slaves, meaning when the slaves did a revolt in Haiti, France said, well, now your government owes us for the cost of all of you. And you're like, what do you mean all of us? Wow. Well, the the price it would have cost to sell all of you as slaves. <gasps> and they, and France has not forgiven that debt, at least as far as I know. They still try to fucking hold it over them. <laughs> it's been a hundred years. That's fucking awful. I had no idea about that. That's... Oh, Haiti. Just look at Haiti. <laughs> Everything has been done to Haiti because they dared to have a slave revolt. It wasn't like a socialist communist revolution or anything, but it was a people's revolution where the people overthrew their oppressors. And the Western world has hated them and tried to make them an example ever since. Man, I'm getting heated. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it, Pepper. Tell me like it is. I'm learning so much, you know? I gotta go give a speech to all my stuffed animals. <laughs> <laughs> Your group of Discord furries, but they're all like plushies. That's, I like the images. That's us. <laughs> That's us right okay, geez. Um,. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. I have been Pepper Coyote, and I've been joined by Sophia. Please say hi again. Hi. Thanks for having me again. <laughs> I loved our conversation last week, and I'm very glad you were here again to have it with us one more time. Yeah. Uh, if you want to be hanging out in the chat right now with us live, listening to, oh, you could have heard the li the lost episode, uh, be a patron for $1. Uh, you can get into the Discord, or you can listen to us talk live, listen to these recordings unedited, hear all the things that I uh, pull out because I say them unartfully. And, uh, and and be nice and give me a dollar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's good for everyone, you see. Oh, yeah. I get a dollar and you get to, <laughs> to look at this video feed right now. All right. <laughs> um, I have been Pepper Coyote. I have been Sophia. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.